Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Frontier Beyond Fear. I'm Susan Larison Dans, and today is Saturday, October 14th, 2023. Today, I had the rare opportunity, which only a few times in my life have I had this opportunity, just by chance, to observe an eclipse. And in fact, if you are looking at today's show page, live on Blog Talk Radio or in the podcast, that's a picture that I took this morning. And when there is an eclipse, whether it is a total eclipse or not, today's was an annular eclipse, meaning that it was not a total eclipse. There was not total darkness. I have been... I have observed both types of eclipses, although I have never actually been in the space of totality. And some years ago, I know I certainly wrote about and I think I talked about how I was only like 20 or 30 minutes from totality and what that was like and how I, there was this tendency to be drawn to see something you've never seen in that space. And the thing about an eclipse, It is not actually about the darkness, although the darkness is a part of it. It is about the light. One can only imagine what it must have been like for those who came before us who had no understanding of what was going on. And in fact, that's going to be relevant to this topic in some other ways in a little bit, because what tended to emerge was fear, fear not knowing what was going on. And so um, who was doing this to us might have been the question that was asked in those days. And in other ways, that question continues to be asked today. What? came through in this eclipse and I was, you know, I didn't have the special glasses. I actually, um, I do have them tucked away from the last one somewhere, but um, I didn't need them because what I found fascinating about the last time I was in an eclipse is how the shadows change. The eclipse is all around you and you don't even know it. The shadows shift and they they kind of blur together and you can actually see the eclipse in the shadow. 
So you can see the light and the dark and the contrast in the shadows of leaves, for example, in particular. And that picture that I posted today, which I took with my phone this morning, of all the pictures that I post on this program are pictures that I have taken, um, a hobby that I enjoy today. I really wanted to capture this phenomenon again, how you can see it multiplied everywhere, 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 all around you. You don't need, I tried the thing with the little postcard and little pinhole that maybe you learned um, as a child. I did. That doesn't work as well as simply putting the postcard down and looking around you and the eclipse will be everywhere. It's not all darkness because the part that you see is not the dark part. If we were to go into totality, you would not be able to see those shadows. What you actually see are the nuances of the light. I tried not to look at the sun. I was very careful because I didn't have the special glasses. Why is that? Because the sun, when partially blocked, the brightest rays come through. What can that say to us? Let's be clear at the outset. No one is going to be condoning, certainly not through my voice here today, the darkness and what can happen in the midst of the darkness, which can be horrific. And in fact, I'll tell you, in the past week, I think they should have given more warning, a little more description, description, I saw an image in the middle of the afternoon on one of the major cable news networks, um, and um, it was really surprising that they showed this image. And it was something so stark and horrible, even worse than, you know, I used, they used to, I've seen various things through my life, old movies, different things and descriptions. This was a horrible, horrible thing that was shown. And I won't describe it. I really don't think that it should have been shown on afternoon TV. I mean, when they said, you know, we're about to show something more graphic, usually that's something relatively graphic, but not what they showed. And I'm sure they got um, input on this. And this particular, um, this just, in fact, I, I'll say with who it was. It was MSNBC that showed it in the afternoon. And it was a very stark and horrible thing that we've heard about. But when you see it, it's horrible, horrible. That kind of brutality that they showed, um, you know, it's been compared to like the, the, the animal world, no, that is devolved even from that because as much as it's difficult to come to peace, um, I happened to walk past a hawk um, that was very carefully observing some ducks below. In fact, it was so close. It was just the other day, probably one of the closest, not the closest, but um, very I mean, I happened to spot it because it swooped down from a tree and its wings were huge. And I thought it was going to be eating a duck right before my eyes. Well, the animal world can be very stark and, you know, not something you want to observe. But that hawk was hungry 
And I've actually questioned why we live in a world with that, you know, where, you know, the the most vulnerable are preyed upon. But this is worse. When there is conscious, hateful brutality, that's below the animal world. That's that's not even equated. That is um, just utterly, um, utter darkness. And that's what it is. This is a show about love and about getting beyond our fears. Fear is the opposite of love. I say that hate is the opposite of love, but it's actually fear because hate arises from fear. All of our dysfunction, all of it, even the awful things, and sure, there have been many awful things that have happened in this world. And throughout his, they all originate from fear and from the misconceptions and confusion that arise from fear. And yes, even from that same kind of fear when in ancient times people observed this um, phenomenon with the sun, although today's partial eclipse, you really only noticed um, and I wasn't even at the point where it was what they call the ring of fire, um, but I was close enough, and you could see there was a dimming of the sun. Would you have noticed it? If Would I have noticed it had I not been so close to totality some years ago? Probably not, but um, the light changes. It just looks odd. It looks skewed. It's like there's something off about the world. It's like, what is it? And even the shadows, like I depicted um, in that photograph, where I captured in that photograph this morning, it's all a mist. The shadows don't look right. And even so, what are you seeing? The contrast of dark and light. What did they do? How did they respond? Who was doing this to us? Who was doing this to us? It had to be in those ancient times when the sun disappeared, some angry being. They they projected, this thing must be angry with us. This thing must be violent. And they personified the violence and the anger. I think today I probably will once again read 1 Corinthians 13. I wasn't sure if I would do that today. It is it is timeless. It is applicable across all belief systems, even if you don't believe anything at all. And um, I think it's worthy of being read again today in a little while. I'm going to read some other things too. And in fact, let's start with the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. who lived... January 15, 1929, and tragically died on April 4, 1968. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Another quote. I have decided to stick to love. Hate is far too great a burden to bear. On a week like 
this week, there are wounds gaping open among us all. I really wish I hadn't seen what I saw on television, but maybe I needed to see it. But all it showed to me was how desperately confused the source of that kind of brutality would have to be. And it all arises out of fear. Here's another aspect of that quote, an earlier quote I just gave from the Reverend Martin Luther King, Jr. Returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Yet another from him. Violence begets violence. Hate begets hate. And toughness begets a greater toughness. Along the way of life, someone must have enough sense and morality to cut the chain of hate. I happen to also tune in to a broadcast, which I think also, it was either on CNN or MSNBC, um, where they were showing someone who survived from this peace concert and gathering where people had gathered together in the spirit of love and peace. And I have heard other voices criticizing, saying, oh, how naive, oh, how stupid and naive these people were. Sorry. They were on the path of light and love, which is the omnipresent divine. Today, I can't mince words. I must speak from my heart. In fact, I've spoken before about how I used to write on the Oprah forum. This is the essence of bridge builder, who I was. This wasn't, I was not building bridges from hate to other forms of hate or, you know, sure, I was trying to um, bring forward ideas that were compatible with love. But most of all, I stood up for unconditional love and really reflecting deeply what is the divine, what is consistent with the divine, the omnipresent divine, what would be the highest ideal if we could not possibly conceive of something better than the divine. And so I can guarantee it is not some primitive anger God. It just isn't. And we need to really reflect about what we're about and where we're heading. And do we really want the world to survive, which I've also talked about. Because we don't have the luxury anymore to have, say, another world war. We, the, the things that we have developed, are too severe, and we would not only devastate ourselves, but the entire planet with us. We don't have that luxury. We are being driven by darkness itself, it seems, towards the road to peace, if we are to survive. And that takes courage. It takes emotional and spiritual maturity. 
I actually have come to believe, being a spiritual person and having seen evidence of the spiritual, that it probably, in fact, I don't even know if I should say probably, it will take some kind of miraculous intervention. But do not discount that those things can come through us. Just as it came through the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. in how he was able to advocate for peaceful methods or Gandhi or others. And in fact, today I'm going to talk about Immaculate Ilibajiza again, who is an incredible person. In fact, I have her book right in front of me again. Um, I just happened to have a friend who interviewed her. In fact, he was on the show some years ago, Pap- Baptiste Baptiste de Pop, he made the power of the heart, and he interviewed her about what happened, and that's how she came to my attention. And let's talk about the power of the heart, the power of love. You know, when you don't have um, that spiritual anchor, that spiritual assurance that I am so thankful I have because I've been through it and I've seen the evidence, it's much more difficult because then you just don't know what's going to happen or it's just so random why we're here and what's going on and it must be survival of the fittest. You know, whoever's the most violent, well, they'll survive. That's not what our spiritual paths teach us. And we need to wake up. We need to wake up. And I know some of us are awake. You know, this woman, young lady who survived that peace gathering, and and I believe it was 260 people were killed. She was talking about hiding in the grasses and the bushes and that these killers were literally laughing. She said they were enjoying this. That, That is... As aberrant, you know, I said that when the light was skewed today, it's not the light, but the light is still there. You can't take the light out of the world. That is the omnipresent divine. The light and the love is everywhere, but we can be totally um, blinded or mostly blinded to it. And, you know, there have been, our history is filled with that voice of cruelty that laughs and and mocks and yeah you know um just takes lightly the brutality um that's not compatible with the divine immaculate elibajiza whose name i always have trouble pronouncing was born in 1972 in rwanda and i want to to reference something at the end of her book her family was killed her whole family was brutally killed um, in Rwanda and it was a civil war and she described you know someone they were coming after each other with uh, with machetes even neighbors and teachers she you know everybody they were just coming after one another and brutally murdering um, one another and it was a horrible horrible time and um, she managed to survive because she was hidden by a priest in a large bathroom. Um, in a, I think it was in a basement. And they survived for quite a long time. And she went through her own journey. Her, her book, it's called Left to Tell, 
discovering God amidst the Rwandan Holocaust. And she went through her anger and her bitterness. And, of course, we're human beings. We're having this experience. There will be fear. There will be anger. There will be, you know, the, the worst of grief, of course. But for us to grow and to go forward, we have to look at the wounds. We have to look at how did this come to be and not go down the paths that allow these things to happen, to enable them to happen, to look at the wounds before, to do what those wonderful young people were doing, to try to reach out to one another. And actually, there are people being held hostage right now. I have heard in reports that are peace activists. There were peace activists there on the border. And I watched one relative just filled with, you know, a much higher way of looking at this um, because his mother had been taken hostage. And, oh, you know, there's a lot of darkness going on. And, you know, but it's gone on in history many, many times. Are we going to learn and grow? Why are we here? It's the most difficult question, isn't it? But the only way I've ever been able, and it's taken my spiritual journey to get there, to come to some terms with it. But believe me, I think we all want to have a discussion with, um, you know, the the uh, the committee. I like to say on the other side. It's not funny even, but um, it, it's not funny. But we want to have a discussion about why did we set up this experience? Because this is a dark, um, you know, there's a reason. There has to be a reason why we're here. And the only reason that I can possibly fathom is to better understand what love is and what light is and that we volunteered, that we are not forced to be here. I am not a believer in that. And there is nothing, I do not empower darkness. It is not powerful. Um, It is not supernaturally powerful. There can be lower vibrational things, but it has nothing to do with the supernatural power of love and light. That is where the power is. And we empower it all the time. We use it as a scapegoat. We use it to blame. We use it to shame. We use it for so many things. That's not what it is. Love is all there is. Love is what there is. Love is our goal. And we are inseparable from love. And we can find our way there just as those young people, many of whom were killed, sadly, because they were of an emotional and spiritual maturity well ahead of many others. They were not naive. They were spiritually and emotionally mature and courageous. Here is Immaculate Ilibajiza, survivor of the Rwandan Holocaust. And in her story, she talks about how Um, As things ended, see, here's the problem. You propagate and continue. These things will never, well, they will end unless there's an intervention, which will be a miracle, and I think that's possible, or 
they just end because our violence and our immaturity just overcame not only us but the entire planet and everything on it. One or the other, we're heading straight for a wall, just like a runaway train. And I am a pacifist. I believe in peace. I believe in inner peace. I believe in peace on earth. And I believe it is only possible through the unconditionally loving power of the omnipresent divine. And what happened to Immaculate demonstrates this. She found herself in a position where things were ending and someone who had killed um, people that she knew, who had killed family members, someone in her neighborhood, she was given the opportunity to confront him in prison. And even the guard was upset with her. I mean, because he thought, you know, um, I think, I'm trying to remember it all because I haven't read this whole book in a while. But, you know, he he thought, I mean, I guess if other people were going in there, you know, they were, they were um, not doing what Immaculate chose to do. What she chose to do was forgive. But it was a very difficult thing. And it is very difficult. And in this passage, she expresses how difficult. God's message extends beyond borders. Anyone in the world can learn to forgive those who have injured them, however great or small that injury may be. I see the truth of this every day. And I'm not going to read all of this. Um, Here's another part of it. A genocide survivor whose family had been murdered called me from Rwanda not long ago, crying over the phone and asking me to explain the steps I'd taken to forgive the killers. Quotes from this person in her book. I thought you were crazy to forgive them, Immaculate, that you were letting them off the hook. But the pain and bitterness I've been carrying in my heart for 11 years is about to kill me. I've been so miserable for so long that I don't have the energy to live anymore. But I keep hearing people talk about how you forgave your family's killers and moved on with your life, that you're happy and have a husband, children, and a career. I need to learn how to let go of my hatred, too. I need to live again from Immaculate. I told her how I put my trust in God and related all I'd done to forgive and move ahead. And let's stop here. It was a journey for her, although she did come to a very real moment of truth when this whole thing was happening to her, when she was imprisoned in that bathroom. And it was very difficult, and killers would be coming and trying to find them. They were looking for her, and they were going to murder her. Everything I've now written down in this book. She thanked me and later told me that she'd asked God to help her forgive the killers too. I'm going to jump a little bit. I'm not going to read everything. Um, Well, this one is important. 
Then there was the woman in Atlanta who approached me in tears at the end of a talk I gave. She told me that her parents had been killed in the Nazi Holocaust when she was a baby. Quote, my heart has been full of anger my entire life. I've suffered and cried over my parents for so many years, but hearing your story about what you lived through and were able to forgive has inspired me. I've been trying all my life to forgive the people who killed my parents, and now I think I can do it. I can let go of my anger and be happy. At the same seminar, a 92-year-old lady put her arms around me and hugged me tightly. She was so emotional that she was barely able to speak, but she found her voice. I'll never forget her words. Quote, I thought it was too late for me to forgive. I've been waiting to hear someone say what you did. I had to know that it was possible to forgive the unforgivable. I am at peace now. Quote, these are the words of Immaculate Ilibajiza. As for the land of my birth, I know that Rwanda can heal herself if each heart learns the lesson of forgiveness. Tens of thousands who were jailed for killing during the genocide are starting to be released into their old towns and villages. So if there was ever a time for forgiveness, it is now. And she goes on later to say, The love of a single heart can make a world of difference. I believe that we can heal Rwanda and our world by healing one heart at a time. I hope my story helps. Some of you may have read The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom, and she talks about she was in um, a work camp in Germany, um, and um, she actually had hid um, people in her house trying to protect them, and then she was discovered, and um, she was sent away, and there was a miracle that she got out at all, but she, too, had a journey with how to forgive the guards. This is not easy work. This is very difficult spiritual work, and we're still in a state right now where everything is very raw, but we also are in a place where we need to listen to the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. We really do. And we need to decide personally, are we focused on love? Are we focused on light? What can we do to heal how do we honor the legacy of these young people? Let's be clear. Some of them, they were from both places. They were having this concert right on the border on purpose. Credible spiritual maturity. That showed. Here's a poem that has been of reassurance to me. By William Wordsworth, who lived 1770 to 1850, lines written in early spring. I heard a thousand blended notes while in a grove I sat reclined 
In that sweet mood when pleasant thoughts bring sad thoughts to the mind. To her fair works did nature link the human soul that through me ran, and much it grieved my heart to think what man has made of man. Through primrose tufts in that green bower, the periwinkle trailed its wreaths, and tis my faith that every flower enjoys the air it breathes. The birds around me hopped and played, their thoughts I cannot measure, but the least motion which they made, it seemed a thrill of pleasure. The budding twigs spread out their fan to catch the breezy air, and I must think, do all I can, that there was pleasure there. In this belief from heaven be sent, if this belief from heaven be sent, if such be nature's holy plan, have I not reason to lament what man has made of man? When we are caught up in the consciousness of fear, we do essentially devolve below the animal kingdom when there is cruelty and brutality and laughter in the midst of it. That is actually the, the lowest place. But we also need to look at how did that happen? Where are the wounds? No baby is born with that impulse. What happened? And what do we do in our world to stop it from continuing to happen? This is just one story in one part of the world. And there are endless stories, it seems, victimization of brutality. We can go back in history and just not very far and observe and atrocious horrors what are we going to do how are we going to move forward doing the kind of work Immaculate did that can take a long time but it does take not just spiritual and emotional maturity which arrives but also the miraculous intervention and assistance of the omnipresent loving divine. What is that love? Second here. Let's talk about it. What is this God who is love? or however you choose to define the divine. What is that loving spirit? First Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. 
If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see, but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. It can seem that there are narratives that describe what's happening in our world today. And there have been many um Having studied this myself, people who have had visionary experiences and they see things they couldn't possibly know that are in the future. But how they or those who listen to them, and that's a big thing too, interpret what they see is all based on the context of their beliefs at the time. It really is time to have an honest conversation with yourself. What do you believe about the unconditionally loving divine? What characteristics are you attributing to the divine that contradicts what I just read in 1 Corinthians 13. Our way forward, even as I really do believe it will involve miraculous intervention in a great many ways, but when we're inseparable from the omnipresent divine, Is not Immaculate's story a miracle? Is not the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr.'s story a miracle? It may have ended tragically, but he was standing up courageously and he was being given strength by the divine that is unconditional love to write what he wrote, to know what he knew. As for me, I stand for love. As for me, 
I stand for peace, inner peace, and the peace that extends beyond that. It's our only way forward. I have seen evidence that there is so much more to this world than the materialists say who mock and diminish all forms of spirituality and lump them all together. The people who died at that event, those young people, they were in a space of peace and joy, brotherhood and sisterhood. They saw what this is. They knew. And there were those who didn't like that. When the eclipse was over today, the light emerged. In fact, even during the eclipse, there were amazing things happening. In fact, an astronomer that I was watching on the Weather Channel after, I'll paraphrase, he said something like, um, it was as if um, by disappearing, the light appeared even more. I swear he said that. And from a spiritual standpoint, there can be truth in that. That's the only reason we could possibly be here on Earth, although I think it's I don't understand it. There's got to be a reason because it's very harsh here. Very harsh. I think it's too harsh. But there is no scapegoat. The only reason that we can be here is to be going through a trial to help us to learn and grow and to see the light more clearly and to grow it. I have trouble justifying it, but I believe in the omnipresent divine that is love. In an eclipse, there are there were all these different things that happened. I saw this mostly on the Weather Channel. There are like these beads of life, light that appear. Really, um, defi- there was another point where they, I didn't quite see this, but apparently the, the contours of the moon were sparkling and being defined even more clearly by this event. And then if there's a total eclipse, there's this thing um, where there's a very bright um, point light that emerges. Um, light, light, light emerges in the midst of the darkness. The eclipse is over now. The sun is out. It's not askew anymore. We need not fear the eclipse. We aren't these ancient peoples who looked up in the sky and feared everything and everything that went wrong. There had to be some angry, angry um, entity to appease because it must have been something they did wrong. And so they sacrificed. I was just hearing about, I mean, all kinds of terrible things happened in all many different cultures, all because of fear, all because of fear. Do we choose to be in a space of fear? The Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. again. 
darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. I stand for love. Do you? Thank you for being here today. FrontierBeyondFear.com is the site for this show. I'll be back a week from today. This show broadcasts live on Saturdays, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. And it's on many syndicates, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, and others. And thank you to Blog Talk Radio for featuring this show live in the number one slot today, both before and during the show on their homepage. It is most appreciated, as always. Take care, everyone. 